The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. We are going to continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew chapter 5. In fact, we're going to try to finish Matthew chapter 5 today. So we've got a ways to go. In fact, I think I have like nine different points to my sermon, so... You know, cancel the lunch reservations, whatever you go like that. But we're going we're gonna to jump into that. I'm calling it principles that pop out because we won't be able to dig into the details of everything so much, but look at some of the main ideas really in each paragraph as we go through. You know how simple-minded I am and how uh, excited I get about so, What's the color coordination here between the uh, principles that pop? So I went with the fireworks. You like that? Uh, and then we got all the color coordination. Even goes with the lights behind the cross. Are you impressed? Okay, I get very excited. I was in here this week, and I set that up, and I was like, oh, man, I just need some orange flowers, and we would have it. It'd be perfect. But as excited as I am about the color coordination on the platform, I am more excited about two things Pastor Josh mentioned. One is next week, all this stuff over here is going to be out of there, and the baptistry is going to be open, and we're going to have a baptismal service. Thrilled about that. Uh, excited about folks wanting to follow the Lord in obedience there and in um, just a, a proclamation, a declaration of their desire to follow Jesus and live for him. Thrilled about that. Also on to mention how thrilled I am, the marriage conference coming up uh, a week from this Friday. It'd be a couple hours on Friday night and about four hours on Saturday morning. And uh, we have a great group signed up for that. In fact, I ordered books a couple weeks ago, thought I better order some extras, did. We're down to one set of extra books. However, I don't want to limit anybody, so I'm going to order more books tomorrow. I'm mentioning that because if you haven't signed up and you're planning on coming, it'd be helpful to know just so I don't get caught again without or with not ordering enough extra books. Make sense? Okay, so but we're getting more books. We'll have enough books. We don't want anybody to come because um, they... Uh, yeah, any last-minute Larrys or Lisas are very welcome uh, to, to jump in there on, on that. Okay, now, as we dive into Matthew chapter 5, as we continue uh, to pick it up there, like I said, we're going to focus on a bunch of different principles. There's one idea, though, that is a principle that stands out throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to call your attention to that as we start. And that is just as a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, the purpose of Jesus' teaching here is he is going to drive us to Christ. Okay, he's going to show us, continue to show us our need for him. He already started that. He talked about being poor in spirit. He talked about uh, those who mourn. We talked about those who um, are meek and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But everything he's going to teach is designed to drive us to him, help us to recognize our need of him. But then he is going to tell us what it looks like to walk in him. He's going to direct us how we are to live then once we are in Christ. So if we'll keep these two things in mind, it's very important. And that also brings us to this idea that we, as this church and as the church in general, are called not to be a museum of the super holy. We are a community of people who need Jesus, okay? And hopefully we can uh, focus on that and remember that idea that that is what we are called to be. As we were singing this morning, I, I get excited sometimes, you know, I, I'm into like, you know, specific lines. That's why I like to put little quotes up here and stuff like that. But we sang that song uh, or that line, sin has no hold on me because grace holds that ground. I love that idea. 
Sin has no hold on me because grace holds that ground. But it's that idea that that is the life that we walk in now. We walk in grace. It's not about my super strength. It's not about my super holiness or anything like that. But it's I walk in need of him, walking with him. I walk that walk. Sorry, I got real excited about that. That's just a side. You, you don't even have to pay extra for that. Okay, you ready? Uh, let's jump in to uh, where we were last week from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we had just read that you are the salt. Jesus had gone through the Beatitudes, and then he talked about the idea that as we walk in him, as we follow him, uh, we're going to be salt. We're going to be those that uh, whet other people's appetite for that living water. We're going to be salty in that way. And we then are also going to be uh, salty in the sense that we are the ones that preserve culture and society. But, uh, but he also says this, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, since we already talked about the idea of being salt and looking at that, and then he goes on and he says, and you're also light, I'm not going to develop that light. Uh, idea a whole lot today. The principle that popped to me was as I looked at the end of this here, and it is the just simply the idea that motives matter. Jesus said, when they see your good works, what will they do? They will glorify your Father that is in heaven. If you watch the life of Jesus through the Gospels, you do not see, and I know the culture is different, but uh, you do not see the image of a Jesus that would be running around signing autographs. Or running around saying, hey, you want a selfie with me? Here you go, like that. You do not see that. You see in everything he pointed glory to the Father. That is to be the motive that we have also. And sometimes, quite frankly, it's tough. Um, you know, we, uh, somebody comes up to you, uh, David or Adam, and they say, hey, worship was really good today. Uh, you did a great job with that. Or maybe I said that to you. Uh, and, uh, and, or maybe, believe it or not, this happens sometimes too. People come up and say, hey, that was a good sermon today. <laughs> Some of you are like, I wish I'd been here that week. Uh, but, uh, the, but yeah, I, I told you, uh, you know, that we all need an attaboy sometimes and compliments sometimes stick. My favorite compliment of all time I got when I was in college. I came home and preached at our, our church. The pastor let me preach one Sunday during the summer. And as I was standing at the door afterwards, a lady came up to me and she told me that I was going to be the next Billy Graham. Just so you know, I'm still waiting. Uh, <laughs> chances are getting slimmer and slimmer that she was right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always been with that. Like, I don't know how to respond. You know what I mean? I could be like the athletes. You know, uh, point out. I never know if they're pointing to heaven because that's where God is, or if they think Dad's up there, or what, or what they're doing. But you know, hey, give the glory up there. That's what we're going to do. I never know. And and this this might just be me. You say, well, you ought to just say praise God. I know sometimes though, I like I I feel like I sound too, you know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I sound too pastorly or something like, like that. So sometimes I just don't know what to say. You know, hey, thanks, or, or whatever like that. I don't know how you respond, Adam. Just uh, you start signing autographs? Okay. Uh, I, th I figured that. But, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how that is. But the more I thought about it, it is not really about what resp response I give, uh, you know, verbally, whatever I say. It really is what is being addressed is the issue of the heart.
that my attitude in a culture that has so much attraction towards celebrities and people getting attention for everything, that my attitude is, I want the glory to go all to God. And I want, uh, and I want to pray that way, and I want to think that way, that when you walk out of here on Sunday morning, there is not the thought in your head, boy, that was a good sermon, or that was a good worship pa- package, or wow, wasn't that great the way the, the fireworks matched the uh, light behind the cross, but that you are thinking, isn't God incredible? And that has to be the goal of ministry that we have. As we minister, whether we minister in the worship ministry, whether we minister helping the kids, what we want to do is help people see him uh, and see his greatness and that they would be giving glory to him. So the first principle of the popped is when he said, when they see your good works, they're going to glorify the Father. That's our motives. Now, then Jesus goes on. He says, do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? No, I'm not come to abolish uh, that, but to fulfill them. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law in that he perfectly kept the law of God. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law uh, in that he uh, satisfied the demands of the law, even with his death on the cross. But for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a, a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus completely fulfills it. He goes on and says, therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same thing will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and here you go with a statement that's going to throw us off here. Unless you, your righteousness, exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That statement uh, really throws us a little bit here. Wait a minute. Our righteousness, we're supposed to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, we might think, Pharisee? Sure. Yeah, of course we don't want to be like the Pharisees because we think of that very negatively. In the day when Jesus said this, they did not. The Pharisees were seen as the holiest group there was. Now, they were ridiculous uh, in the details of what they did to try to keep the law, but they were seen as those who were holy. And the scribes were those who knew the law better than anybody. So Jesus comes here, and this is why I said that as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus is doing is he is driving us to Jesus. He's driving us to understand our need of him because he's helping us to recognize we can't do this. You've got to be more spiritual than those you think are most spiritual. You've got to be more holy than these ones that you've lifted up this way. You can't do it. So this idea, this concept of driving us to Jesus by showing us our need is throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but shows up very prominently here where he says this. So our second point is we need to be holier than them, not holier than thou, holier than them. And we need to understand that that is not something that we are going to be able to do. He goes on. Let me explain a little bit more about this. Here's what I'm talking about now. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable of counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable for hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser 
hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, I will never get out. I'm sorry, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let me... Uh, couple principles uh, in here as far before we get to the the big one that kind of pops to me out of this but when one phrase that is very important here that I don't want you to miss is the idea of coming to the altar when you come to the altar the reason I say that is when we're talking about reconciling with other people we want to be careful that we're not for lack of a better word foolish what I mean is I will say sometimes in here, if the Holy Spirit brings to mind somebody that you have an issue with or has an issue with you, you need to go make it right. But I want to emphasize, if the Holy Spirit brings to mind somebody, I would not sit down with a list and see what problems from the past I can dig up so that I have to go confront somebody. Well, a few years back when I first, uh, I was starting a little Facebook presence. I'd never done that before. And when I got on Facebook, after a couple weeks on Facebook, I got a message on there that says, I just want you to know I've forgiven you. <laughs> I was like, it was somebody I hadn't seen for decades. Uh, but apparently they had, they had an issue with me somewhere along the line. I had no idea what the issue was. You say, how did you respond? I didn't because I thought I don't want to dig up something. Uh, but they said, I just want you to know you're forgiven. I think that was their way of saying, I've been waiting for a chance to tell you what you did to hurt me back then. But here, here's what I'm saying. When you're at the altar, which means when I go to prayer, that's where I'm spending time with God. When I'm spending time with God, is there somebody, is there some relationship that he brings up before me? That's the one I want to go make right. Okay, I don't have to go through and think about everybody in the past that I might have offended, everybody in the past that might have offended me and come up with that list. But if that has become a hindrance to prayer, if that has become a hindrance to me being close to Christ because every time I think about it or every time the pastor mentions it, it, it comes up again in my mind, then that's where I want to go. And he says, he says, do it quickly. In other words, while you're on the way to court, get it settled. Don't wait until it blows up out of proportion. Now, those are a couple practical principles about dealing with conflicts with people. But bottom line is, Jesus is beginning to tell them that your attitude is just as important as your action. Okay? So you think, boy, I'm keeping the letter of the law. Well, the Pharisees were experts at doing that. you got to be more uh, spiritual if you want to say it like that. I'm calling to, to you to a life that deals with heartfelt obedience. Okay, and an obedient heart far more than just a rigorous compliance to the law. I mean, how attractive does that sound? I'm going to comply to the law or a heartfelt obedience. And God has called us to a life of following him with our whole hearts. He goes on, adds another step in there. Now, you have heard that it is said you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, I have heard said, probably accurately, that there are two types of men, those who uh, have had an issue with lust and those who are liars. Um, but anyway, if you're right, uh, and he goes on, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, I want to talk about the violent victory here in a second. But in 2023, when you talk about lust, I thought it would be good just to at least take a moment to talk about something that is so 
um, present in the society that we have today, and that is pornography. Okay, when you, when you talk about, now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that is the only place where lust shows up or anything like that, but I just thought in the world in which we live, there has been a debate, uh, even in Christian circles lately, about, you know, pornography, because some have come out and said that they think there is some value to it, in that if you, um, if I am uh, uh, indulging in pornography to keep me from going into adultery, maybe that's a good thing for my marriage. Or that even some marriages use pornography, uh, you know, to help them in, in their relationships together. And I just, I, I have seen this online, and I've seen Christians debating this back and forth. And I usually, and I hopefully, hopefully this is, you, you find this to be true when I say this, I usually try to be real careful that I let the Holy Spirit give you the specifics in other words, I want to teach God's Word, but, uh, you know, for example, somebody will come to me sometime and say, hey, they got a lot of people in the church who are watching this show. Would you preach against it? Normally, no. First of all, normally I don't know what's in the show. Secondly, I think uh, that's, that's an area where I talk about what, you know, the, the mindset that God wants us to have and follow Him wholeheartedly, but I'm not going to go say, don't watch this. And don't, you know, do you know what I mean? I try to leave those things to the Holy Spirit. When it comes to pornography, I don't think I'm overstepping my boundaries to say there's absolutely no redeeming value in it whatsoever, okay? There's nothing. The, most of the people involved in that in industry are incredibly victimized. Many are actually in slavery. There is absolutely nothing redeeming about it. So I would never say that as Christians, oh, this is something we can use or work in somehow. This is, that, that doesn't have a place. In fact, I understand that the addictive problem uh, quality of pornography. So if that's something where, hey, I've been, really been struggling with, I'm saying to you, get some help. But I'm saying I would not excuse that. Okay, now let me go on to this phrase here, this violent victory. Jesus said, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If your left arm offends you, cut it off. Okay, I really don't think there's anything literal about that. It wouldn't even make sense. If I cut off one arm, I still have another arm to sin. Even if I pluck out both my eyes from what I have heard, actually heard from the lips of people that are blind, that doesn't solve the lust problem. Okay, so that is not what he is talking about, but what he is saying is if there is something that makes it easier for you to do wrong. Get rid of it and do whatever you have to to get rid of it. If there is a person in your life that every time you're around them, you go down the wrong path, don't be around them. If there's a place where you go and every time you go there, you wind up doing the things you shouldn't be doing, don't go there. Okay? Whatever that is, if there is a device in your life, you know, um, I've, I've known uh, men that would say, hey, I cannot have a smartphone. I need to have a flip phone. Well, then have a flip phone. You'll survive. People have done it. Uh, I knew a guy that was a truck driver that said, I have to change careers because for truck driving, going along the road all the time, I kept uh, seeing all these, you know, adult bookstores and everything like that, and they're just traps for truck drivers and, and in my life, and it wasn't working, so he changed careers. Now, please understand, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a truck driver. Okay, what I'm saying is, he said, in my life, this is leading me down the road. I don't want to go down that road. If I have to, I want to violently cut it off, get rid of it. Okay, that is a principle that pops from that paragraph in Scripture. 
And it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus goes into a lot more detail uh, on divorce in chapter 19. Uh, He really just takes a little peek at it here, if you will. And the principle that I am going to put up here is don't miss with the best. Now, what I mean by that is this. God's plan from the beginning is one man and one woman for a lifetime. I think I can say that with great confidence that that's what Scripture teaches. I also know that God redeems and God heals. And I also know that many of you have already experienced the, uh, a divorce, whether it is in a, you know, somebody close to you or in your own life. And uh, I know that you're in a place now. But I think what Jesus was saying here, he was talking to a crowd that had become more and more flippant about marriage in that there were many people that were saying, hey, in fact, some of them would say, hey, you have to have a bill of divorcement. And others would say, no, you don't. All you have to do is say, I divorce you and your marriage is over. That's all you have to do. Some would say they have to have the reason being adultery, and others would say, no, basically, if she burns the toast, you have a reason, and you can get there like that. And he was saying, let's not make this such a light deal. Let's not be so flippant about this idea. Let's realize that God's plan is for marriage and, for, uh, and uh, to stay married like that. I hope you understand that, uh, you know, I am not in any way And please, I never want to do this, regardless of what is in your past. I never want to say, hey, you know, you're not welcome here. Okay, I I really, I never never want to communicate that in in any way. And I understand that there's a great deal of heartache on this topic uh, throughout all of our lives, probably to one degree or another. So I'm not in any way attacking that, but I do feel like to be true to Scripture, I want to say, hey, Jesus perfect plan, the best way that he has this. See, because I want to say to the young people in this room, this is what you want to strive for, okay? You want to strive one man, one woman for a lifetime. This is what you want to go for. You know, that, that doesn't mean there aren't beautiful marriages that somebody's on their second marriages, marriage, third marriage. That doesn't mean that at all. What it means is I want us to strive for God's best as far as this goes. Again, that's kind of a quick look there. Jesus does talk about it more later. And again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath, either by heaven or by the throne of God or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, or by earth or by its could that be a repeat? Uh, and he, but he goes on and he says, and do not take an oath by the head or you cannot make one hair of your head white or black. So here's what he says. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So we want to say in our life, we want to have no yeah buts and no no buts. Okay. We want to make sure that what we say, we mean. If I have to say to you, okay, I'm telling the truth afterwards. Now, now I'm telling the truth. The old line was, I'm not preaching now. I'm telling the truth. Uh, but uh, if I have to say that all the time, and I thought about this, I, I, think, th- I think I need to examine myself a little bit here because I know sometimes I tell a story and I have to back it up by saying, ask Francis, because nobody believes me. Uh, and and it, it's, I have to watch that. This would probably be a good time for me now to say, if you were here last week, Josh and Hannah do not have a sign on their front porch uh, that says beer is, is proof that God wants you happy. 
They do not have that sign. That was kidding. Um, Hannah's much classier than that. It says wine. Well, no, no, it doesn't, no, they don't have any. No, no, I'm still kidding. Uh, I'm still kidding. I, 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 not, nothing there. But, uh, the, but we are to be people that we say what we mean and we mean what, mean what we say, okay? Uh, basically, when you say it, that, that's good. And I'm to be a person that my li- I am what I claim to be. There is reality. We live in a world when reality TV is the king of everything. But if you ever watch reality TV with any discernment, you realize there ain't much reality in reality TV. Everything is staged and choreographed and put together like that. And we somehow buy the, hey, this is real. Um, I, I don't think so. I think the Flintstones might be more real but than, than a lot of those things. But truth is, we are to be people of our word. And, and we should not have to back anything up with, hey, I'm telling the truth here. I'm not, you know, I'm not kidding you on this one. I really, I really mean it. When we speak, it should be uh, able to be believed what we're saying. Whew, I'm out of breath. I know I haven't taken one for a while, but got, got a little ways to go here. Jesus keeps going. He says, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I say to you, do not resist the one who, is, who does evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn, turn to him all, the other side also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go with you one mile, which is what the Roman soldiers were legally allowed to do, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Hey, real quick thought there. Give to the one who begs from you. Um, and hopefully you don't think I'm rationalizing too much here, but there is a different culture than what they had then. For some people, begging was absolutely the only way they were going to get anything. The culture was set up to have begging. I don't think this is a requirement that every time you see somebody that is asking for money, you have to give it to them. I'll leave that between you and God. And I am very thankful, I'll say this, that we have some folks around here that help me in being discerning about our giving. We have had the opportunity just this last week to say, hey, we're going to be able to pay for some hotel rooms for some folks who have family that have to be in a hospital, in one case, a foster family that has to be in a hospital. I am very thankful for people like Curtis that is a, and, and Amy that have a connection and they can tell me about some needs. And I know these are legitimate needs. I'm very thankful for Lorraine and what she does, even setting up the shower on Saturday and then Jenny taking over and running with it and folks who say, hey, these are legitimate needs where we can help people because to be very honest with you, a lot of the times that I have jumped in and said I'm going to give to somebody, I found out later I really didn't help them. Maybe I just bought them their next bottle. You you know what I mean? I didn't really help them. Uh, But let's go on with what he says here. You do not refuse the one who has borrowed from you. Basically, the idea that Jesus is giving here is do not retaliate. You are not a wimp when you retaliate, but you are a winner. What you actually do is you take control of the situation. If you have to get revenge, if you have to hit back, if you have to strike them back when somebody misuses you, then you put the power in their hands. But you take it away and you become a winner, not a wimp, when you do not retaliate. Then Jesus went on and he says, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be, uh, be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So this is a good way to copy Jesus, imitate Jesus. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So he gives good the things that they need, the sun for the farmer, uh, even if they do not deserve it 
we want to live that life of grace also. For if you love those who love you, what is your reward? Do not even tax collectors who they saw as the scum. Don't they do the same thing? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. The idea that God keeps coming back to Jesus is that love is more than a feeling. In fact, he doesn't talk about it being a feeling at all. When he tells us to love our enemies, he goes through and he gives us some specific things to do that love is an action. Love is not just a feeling uh, that uh, because we won't have that feeling. And I am <coughs> fast forwarding right now. I realize I got a little bit my one finger's on the fast forward button and one's on the play button right now. I understand. But I wanted to get to this idea. I, if there is somebody that you would describe as an enemy, they intend with either their words or their actions to hurt you, okay? I want to give you a challenge that from Jesus, and uh, I want to make it specific and say, would you accept a 30-day prayer challenge? What I mean is determine that you will pray for that person for 30 days. Now, you can't pray, you know, like the old country song, Make a flower pot fall on her head uh, and anything like that. You, you can't pray like that. But if you would pray for them that God's favor and God's blessing would shine in their life and do that for 30 days, I think what would happen is we would shrink our enemies list as we grow our prayer list. I think that would be a great idea. Moving on. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, again, let me go back and say that Jesus is emphasizing uh, that these are things that we are not going to be perfect there. I mean, he started off with that idea. Uh, you have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Uh, you have to be perfect in this way. The Scripture makes it very plain. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, what? Apart from the law. We're never going to be righteous enough through the law for God, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They tell us about his righteousness. They tell us what that looks like. The righteousness of God comes how? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there's no distinction. Some of you might know that next verse that goes on and it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what Jesus is saying here very clearly is that we have not measured up, if you will, to God's incredible standards, but this law, and even as we look at this, it is intended to drive us to Jesus, but as we said, not only is it intended to drive us to Jesus, it is also intend us, intended to direct us in this life of grace. Now, last week when we started, we said that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus sitting down with his followers, specifically his disciples, and talking to them. And as we go through this, I want us to remember this. We cannot and should not ever expect non-believers to behave like believers. Very important statement. We should not expect non-believers to behave like believers. We have something different. We have a brighter future. We have redemption. We have the power of Christ in our life. We have forgiveness. We ought to be able to, to pay. So Jesus is directing us into this life. He is not giving us rules. I say that because how often I see people, can you believe it? Can you believe they acted like this? Yeah, I can. <laughs> Why would they act any differently? Uh, this is not, you know, Jesus is not saying, hey, here's a bunch of things I want you to enforce upon everybody else. He's saying, hey, here's what following me, here's what walking in me, here's what growing in me looks like. 
Okay? As you know me better, as you walk with me, as you trust me, here's, here's, here's the life that I want to guide you in. Here's how I want to lead you to be salt and to be, be light. I want to direct you in my paths so that you, you know, so that you would follow him that way. Now, I'm going to ask the, the folks to come back up for worship because we're going to, we're going to sing about uh, Jesus being the king of our heart and following him in that way. But let me emphasize this idea again. We're going to sing those words, king of my heart. Okay? Let the king of my heart. Okay. I always hesitate on this somewhat because... When I say, you know, it's all about our heart, then we sometimes think, okay, I just, that means I get to decide what's right and wrong. I, I just follow my heart. And that is really not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is when I make Jesus the king of my heart, submit to him and his leadership and his word, stuff like that, this is what my life is going to look like. Am I, am I making sense? Because, I, folks, we have to be a place of grace. We, ha- we have to understand. We have to. We have to. We're all a mess. Okay, if we're honest, we're all a mess. Okay, we have to be a place of grace. But then that doesn't mean it doesn't really matter how we live. That, that's not how it goes. In fact, the opposite is true. The more we understand the goodness of God's grace, that grace compels us to live for and follow Him. So when I say, I, I'm kind of preaching a message saying, it, you know, it's not about your actions, it's, it's much more about your heart, you know, Yes, that is absolutely true, but what I'm telling us is that heart I'm talking about is a heart that's surrendered to him and obedient to him. It's not just the heart meaning whatever I want to do, that's the path I go. Is that making any sense? Because whenever I preach on grace and uh, you know, just the path that we have, I get a little worried, you know, yeah, what you said, you know, it's grace, so it doesn't really matter because we're li- living in grace. And that's not really what, where we're called, okay? Now, we are to understand that I cannot earn his favor, that I'm not good enough for him, and that there is nothing inside of me. Those things that I have as a believer in Christ, I had nothing to do with them, okay? I have forgiveness. I did nothing to merit forgiveness. I have his power, his Holy Spirit. I, had, I did nothing to merit that. I have an eternity with him, and I absolutely do not deserve that. I deserve the exact, exact opposite, but I have those things because of him. So let the word of Christ First of all, drive us to Jesus, and then let, a, let that Word of Christ direct us in following Him. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.